Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor. We're so grateful that you are here, whether you're joining us in person, inside, or maybe you're in the courtyard enjoying uh, the weather that we have today, or maybe you're watching at home or some other place. We're just grateful that you are here. And our hope and prayer is that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. I want to let you know about a couple things that are happening. First, we have a Parent Connect Night tonight. Uh, we have these cards on every seat. If you're a parent, I would encourage you to check this out. Uh, it's an opportunity for you to meet other parents, to build community, um, also to be able to grow in your faith and in your parenting. Tonight we're going to be talking about mental health and how to parent with that subject in mind. Um, and so obviously huge subject uh, right now in, in, in our world. And uh, so if you're interested in that, um, interested in uh, building community, relationships with others or growing in your faith, uh, then check that out. You can just scan the QR code or you can go to the website. Uh, register. It's tonight. Uh, so don't miss that. The second thing I want to let you know about is uh, most of you have been uh, kind of following along the story. Uh, we're trying to uh, eventually get into our own permanent facility. If you didn't know this is a school, uh, it's not our own permanent facility, unfortunately. And uh, so we uh, have been in the process for a long time, almost two years, to try to get all of our permitting and stuff like that so we can start building. And I want to let you know that next Sunday, we are going to have a groundbreaking ceremony. Yes. Man, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So it's going to be next Sunday at 5 p.m. Uh, we would love to have you guys out there. It's going to be a great time. Uh, the, the people that are building it, they just built the, the library in town. Um, and so this is that they just finished that kind of perfectly. Um, and, uh, and they said that we'll be in within 10 months. Uh, so that means maybe by this time next year, we'll be in our own building. But I don't trust it. I don't trust it at all. Uh, but I can, man can have hope every once in a while. So... Uh, hey, if you want more information about the groundbreaking, you want to be there, uh, we're going to send out an email this week. Uh, like we do every single week, we send out an email. If you don't get those emails, then just take the, the Connect card that Jackie just talked about. Put your name and your email on there. Uh, you could drop it off at the Connection Center or drop it in the, uh, the boxes as you leave. Uh, and uh, we'll make sure that you get the information about this Sunday. But please join us. It is going to be awesome. I cannot wait to see what God is going to do. It's going to be a day that marks our church. And I was thinking about that idea, like days that mark you, right? Like think about the, the times in your life, moments, periods of, of your life that, that marked who you are as a human being. Right? Obviously your birth was a day that would mark you. Uh, graduating from college or graduate school, maybe getting married, having a child. Like many of us, uh, all of us, we have many days in our lives where that, that mark us, that make us who we are. One of those days for me was May 11th, 1997. Uh, it was Mother's Day, and it was on a Sunday, uh, and it did, that day didn't mark me because it had anything to do with my mom, and that day didn't mark me because it was a Sunday, and I heard some preacher's message, and, and it transformed my life. Something happened that day that changed me forever. Right now, we're in a series called Game Changers, and we're looking at the life of Paul and how Paul changed the world around him, and we're asking this question, how can you and I be game changers in the world around us. Like God has placed us here. How can we change the world around us? And uh, today, the, what we're looking at with Paul is we're, uh, we're looking at a day that marked him forever. A day that not only marked him, but marked hundreds of other people that changed the lives of so many individuals. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 17. Um, also, if you've missed any of this series, go onto our website. We have these series hubs, um, and you can check out all the messages. You can get other resources to help you grow in your faith. Now, Acts 17, that's where we're going to pick up with a story. And up until this point, here's what Paul's been doing. He's been going from town to town. 
And as he gets to the town, he starts uh, preaching about Jesus. Then the people start persecuting him. They start either beating him, they've arrested him, they've done all, and they're trying to drive him out to silence him. So he's going from town to town, escaping persecution. He leaves Berea, he goes to Athens, and that's where we pick up with the story, starting in verse 16. Here's what it says. While Paul was waiting for them, meaning the other believers that he had traveled to Athens with, they left. While he was waiting for them to come back, he was in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So Paul's waiting for his friends to come back and he's looking around, he's watching people worship other gods and he knows that these other gods um, aren't gonna give them what they long for. They're not gonna give them the life and the hope and the peace and all of that that they long for. And so he becomes greatly distressed, like his heart is moved. And when I read that, I began asking, am I greatly distressed by the idols that people worship in our community? Now, when we talk about idols in our community, we're not talking about like little hand-carved things, but what do people worship above God? What do people put on a pedestal above God? So does my heart break for when people worship money over God? Or when people put their kids above God? Or when people put their politics or, or, or their, their, their specific items or topics that they just, they'll die for this thing, whatever it is, and they put that above God, does my heart break for that? Like for me, typically, when I see people doing that and they're putting something above God, I'm, I begin to question their motives. I begin to, to get angry at them. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, why are you acting this way? Like, you call yourself a follower of Christ, or even if you don't, like, you really think that's going to... And I start, like, judging motives and all of that. But Luke, the guy who writes the book of Acts, he doesn't say that, that Paul began to get angry or that Paul began to question their motives. It says that he became greatly distressed. That phrase means to be moved. For your heart to be, to be moved toward something, to be changed toward something. What was he moved toward? What was he greatly distressed? He wasn't greatly distressed about their idols. He was greatly distressed about them. He saw a group of people that longed for something more, and they were, they were yearning for, for God, to worship God, and yet they were worshiping these other things that were, that were useless, that were pointless. And Paul knows that it's not enough just to be greatly distressed. Like your heart has to move, but then you got to do something. So what does he do? He begins to reason with them. The Bible tells us that he started to reason with people. And I, I find that fascinating because I think it's really difficult in our culture right now to reason with people. Would you agree with that? Like it's really hard for us to like actually have a conversation. You stand on a different side of an issue from me and we can actually have an intellectual conversation about whatever it is and we can walk away still friends. That's really hard to do right now. Why is that so hard to do? I love studying psychology and one psychologist, he, he described the brain like this. We have a picture of it. He described the brain. He said, it's kind of like a, a rider on an elephant. The elephant represents the lower part of your brain, uh, the, the, the part of your brain that is all the emotions. Um, and, and, you know, like your amygdala, it's like the, the, the fight and the flight and all of that. And then the upper part of your brain, the rider, represents the upper part, and that's your logic. Now, if you see a person riding an elephant, who's in control? The elephant. At no time is a human riding an elephant ever in control of the elephant. Right? The elephant is the more powerful being. It is the stronger being. So it will always go wherever it wants to go. Well, the same is true when our lives are being controlled by our emotions. When we allow the, the, the lower part of our brain to be the dominant force. Right? And you've seen this. Like If you have kids, you've seen this play out where you're like, what in the world is happening to you right now? 
Like you can't reason with it. You, there's no logic. You know, the psychologists say you've, you've flipped your lid. You know, like, oh gosh, like that person's like completely tr- controlled by emotions. That's what's happened in our world. And that's why logic and reason doesn't happen as much as it should. But for transformation to happen, logic has to be a part of the equation. And so we read here that Paul begins to, to reason with them. And it says they're blown away. In fact, the way, the way that it's phrased here, it says, you're bringing, they say to him, you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Translations, dude, you're brilliant, and we need to know more. So they bring him to the, uh, to the Areopagus. We have a picture of the Areopagus, and it's north, it was located northwest uh, of the Acropolis, and it was the place where the Athenians would hold court. Uh, they would have judicial councils here, and they would typically have court about homicides, so they would try homicides there. They would try religious matters, and they would try arson of olive trees. They loved, Athenians loved their olive oil, you know, so, so they put that on the same plane as like murder, you know, and so this was a place where religious discuss, discussions was normal. So they bring Paul here, and they're like, hey, tell us more about these things that we've never heard about, about this guy named Jesus, and Paul continues, look at verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. They're like, yes, we are. There's like a sense of pride there. Like, thank you for noticing that, outsider. I mean, they, they, they love this. They, that, that was not a shot at them at all. Like, Paul's saying, hey, I noticed something about you. Like, you guys are really religious in everything. And they're like, yes, we are. He says, you even have uh, an altar with the inscription to an unknown God, meaning that you're worshiping an unknown God just in case all the gods that you think are out there, you've got a temple or, or, or some type of plaque to them and you're worshiping some idol for that God. But just in case there's a God you don't know about, you've created an idol for that God. Like that's how religious you are. Like, yes, we are very religious. And it says in verse 23, it says, so you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So Paul says, hey, you guys are religious in every way. They're like, yeah. He's like, and you're ignorant. Oh, like not a great way to like start off the conversation, Paul. He continues, verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He says, you keep building these temples for other gods and these, these idols and all of that, but our God does not dwell in what you build. Our God does not dwell in a temple that is built by human hands, nor is he served. He doesn't need anything from you. In fact, not only does he not need anything from you, he's the one that provides everything for you. He's the one that gives you life. He's the one that gives you breath and everything else. Verse 26, from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. He says, here's the deal. God created this world, and when he did so, he did so with boundaries. He not only created the world with boundaries, but he created you for a specific time. And now is your time. And he created this world the way that he did, and he created you for the time that he created you so that you would seek after him. Like God's, God wants to be found. He, he's not playing some sadistic game of hide and go seek. Like God wants to be found by you and I. So everything that he has done, he's done so that we will seek him 
and we will find him. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now think about this for a moment. It says, in him, in Jesus, in the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the redeemer of all things, in him you live, you move, and you have your being. In him is everything that you need. In him is everything that you long for. Everything that God created you for, you have it in him. Now, if you don't, if you don't seek after him, and you don't live and move and have your being. And then you're just like the Athenians. You're religious in every way. If you don't find your hope and your purpose, your being, your life, your joy, your peace, and all of that in him, then you're just like the Athenians, where they're just religious in every way. They have religion, but they don't have a relationship. I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable here for a moment. By show of hands, how many of you would say you've ever been hurt by religion or religious people? Anybody? Yeah, a bunch of us. And I'm sorry. Like as a pastor, man, that, that breaks my heart to know that. I've been through the same thing. And here's what I would say. I would say that God hates religion. That God hates religion. Not religion in the sense of the simplest definition, right? Religion equals man's worshiping God. But religion, the way that we create it, the way that we form it. Religion that's a bunch of rules and a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. That if you don't vote this way, you don't believe this way, you don't do these things, then you're not truly loving God. You're not truly serving God and those types of things. Like that's the religion that I believe that God hates. Because what God longs for is not a bunch of do's and don'ts. Although he calls us to do things. He calls us to believe certain things. He calls us to act certain ways. But at the end of the day, what he longs for is relationship with you and I. He longs for us to know that in him we live, we move, and we have our being. Paul continues, verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. He says, hey, you can't, you can't make God. Now, it's pretty obvious for those people back then because they literally made images of God. They literally made these idols. So how does that apply to us today? Even though you and I don't make tip, probably these idols in our homes or whatever, we still try to make God something that we want him to be. We still try to make him into something that he's not. And we think if God doesn't do something in line with our thinking or our desires, then maybe God doesn't love me or maybe God's not real. And we get angry at God rather than recognizing, man, that's on me. I'm trying to fashion God into something that he's not. God is who he is. And if he's the creator and the sustainer and the redeemer, then we should listen to what he says. Look at verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. I love that. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Like you people, you were worshiping something that you didn't know. You even had a, a, an inscription to a God that was unknown because you just, you didn't want to hurt any other God's feelings that were out there. You didn't know about. God overlooked your ignorance. But now, 
What he asks for, what he commands, is that all people everywhere repent. All people everywhere includes every person in here. It includes every person sitting outside. It includes every person watching at home. It includes me. All people everywhere. He calls us to repent. Repent means to turn away from. Turn away from that which is not of God or is not God, and you turn toward God. This is what God calls us to do. Not to be religious in every way, but that all people everywhere would repent and turn to him. So this is what I learned on that day that marked me so many years ago, May 11th, 1997. I was at youth group that night, and my mom showed up, which is a little odd that your mom would show up at youth group. That wasn't normal. So I knew something was going on. And she informed me that one of my best friends, Brian, had just killed himself. And I began just like wrestling with all the emotions. I was supposed to be hanging out with him earlier that day, and I wasn't there, so could I have done something if I would have been? So there was guilt, there was anger, like, why would he do this? There was sadness, my friend is gone. If you've ever walked through suicide before, you, you know all of the, the guilt and the shame and the questions, all the emotions that you walk through. So as I began to process all of that, I began to ask, okay, God, what are you, what are you wanting to do in me? I was new to my faith at that point. And I felt like the Lord showed me two truths that would mark me forever. And there are two truths about every single human. Like you're gonna find yourself in one of these two. The first truth is this, that my friend Brian, he was like the Athenians. Like he was longing for something more. He was longing for God. He was longing to find life. He was longing to find hope and joy. He was longing for all of that, but he was seeking it in all the wrong places. He was seeking it in the, the, the alcohol and the girls and the sports and all the, and like, I got it. Like I totally understood where he was at because he was me two years earlier. Like I didn't have to read a book or a blog post or, you know, anything like that to be like, oh, this is what he was dealing with. No, I, I totally understood because I had walked that journey. I feel like that's like the grace of God in our lives. Like when you walk through something in life and you like learn to trust God with that area of your life, God will then bring people into your life that have, are going through the same thing. Like if you've ever walked through a divorce once you get to a place of health and you feel like God's moving in my life and I'm in a healthy place, guess what? God's going to bring people in your life that are walking through a divorce. If you've ever gone through depression or mental health issues, I was talking with a buddy earlier this week and about two years ago, he came to me and he's like, hey man, here's what I've been going through and I, I just want you to know, I want God to use this. So him and I were sitting down this week and he was like, tell me all these stories of all these people that God's been bringing into his life that are suicidal and have mental health struggles and all these like, okay, uh, I didn't think it would be this many people. It's like, no, but that's what God wants to do. Like when you walk through something, God wants to use that to draw other people to himself. Like it doesn't surprise me. I, I love it when I have conversations with guys in our church and it never surprises me when a guy says, hey, I'm an atheist or hey, I'm an alcoholic or hey, I'm... I'm a lover of money. I'm addicted to money because I'm like, I've been all those things. I get it. 
I know where you're at. I don't have to read something about you. I know what you're walking through. And so if you're like my buddy Brian, if you're like the Athenians where you're, you're religious in every way, meaning that you long for something more, you just haven't found that in Christ, my prayer is that today you would come home. Today you would give your life over to Jesus, that you would recognize that everything that you've been seeking to find joy and fulfillment, all of that in, like don't wait till all of those things crash. Sometimes you just have to. And if that's you, I'm, I'm asking God that those things will crash quicker than, than not. But if you're a type where you can just go, you know what, I need to make a change. I know this isn't working. That's my prayer for you. You'll come home, you'll recognize, and I need Christ. I need him. And the second truth that I learned is that for me, I was religious in every way. Like if that verse in verse 28, if it says that for in him we live and move and have our being, at that point, I'd been following Christ for about six months at that point, and I couldn't say that was true about me. And so I knew like God had called me to share my faith with Brian and I just thought, I'll, I'll have more time. I don't want him to think like I'm this like religious nut now and I don't know everything there is to know and you know, I just all the excuses. I thought I'll, I'll do it another time. That time never came. And at that time I was, there was like very clear sin in my life that I just wasn't willing to give up. Like I thought, man, this stuff brings me happiness. And I had leaders in my life, I had mentors and people that were helping guide me spiritually that were like, Ernest, just trust us. Jesus is so much better than all of those things. I'm like, ah, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. And so what was happening is I had one foot in my relationship with Christ and one foot in the world. I would say anytime you have one foot in, in your faith and with Jesus and one foot in the world where you care more about pleasing people or, or, what, or, or the, the, the happiness that certain things bring you that are opposed to God's word, anytime you're straddling that, you're just a very religious person. My faith wasn't guiding me. My relationship with Christ wasn't guiding me at this point. The only thing that was guiding me was religion, the do's and the don'ts. And God was calling me to have my, my living, my breathing, my being in him and him alone. How do you do that? It, it means that you have authenticity. And like you be real about things going on in your life. It means that you recognize your life is you're here. You're like, we, we think like, man, I need this big sign from God what my purpose is. Let me give you what your purpose is. You're here to draw other people to Jesus. It's really that simple. And like some of us, we could do that in our workplace. Some of us are allowed to do that in our workplace and that's awesome. If you're not, if you're like, man, I don't see any other area in my life where I can actually do that, be a good neighbor. Like be an intentional neighbor, get to know your neighbor's names, get to know their stories. And God will bring people in your life that need him. So do that. 
Start serving somewhere here at the church. Not, not like, oh, you know, we, we need a bunch of people serving. No, I'm talking about like, if you're like, I don't know where to share my faith and how to pour into people, start serving in our kids' ministry. You could do that right there. Like people every single week get to pour into our kids and share their faith with them. You can serve in our student ministry on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. People every single week are like, man, I get to share my faith with these students who desperately need the love and knowledge of Christ. That's why you're here. If you say, man, I'm not sure that I find my living and my moving and my breathing in Christ, then what needs to change? What are you putting above him? For me, it's easy to put money, the love of money above God. You got to have it. Want more of it. Helps me to do things that I want to do and all these things. But it fails me every time. It's just a trick. Power. I was taught from a very young age that I needed to be powerful. That in rooms that I walk into and things that I do, I need to be confident and stand firm and stand strong and all of that. And I've just, I've realized, yes, some of those things are really good and yet power will fail you. Achievement. I've sought achievement my entire life. And there's almost nothing better than somebody saying, great job. But it doesn't last. It will fail you. Do you have your living, your moving, your breathing in him? If not, God, what do you want me to do? Read verse 30 again. We'll close with this. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. If you're like my friend Brian, if you're like one of the Athenians where you're seeking that more in something other than God, then today, repent. Turn. It doesn't mean that you're going to have all your questions answered. You won't have any more doubts or you won't wrestle with sin. Or It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that you're going, okay, I recognize that trying to achieve all of these things is not giving me what I long for. And this scripture right here says, this is what you long for. You want life. You want joy. You want purpose. You find it in him. I would bet all of us have a Brian in our lives, somebody that's seeking more from somewhere else. Have you considered that God has placed you in their life to tell them about him? Don't delay. Please don't delay. You don't know. You might not get another chance. And then if you would say, you know what, Ernest, I'm kind of like where you were with the one foot in and one foot out. I'll, I'll be honest, like I still struggle with this from time to time. Like there's still like, this, man, the world looks so good and pleasing and, and appetizing at times. Like it looks so good, but it will fail you. If you would say there's one foot in, one foot out, today repent. Turn from that. Go, God, I want to find my living and my moving and my being in you. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But today, he looks at you and I with love and says, repent. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for Paul's journey and, God, how we can learn so much from his journey and how it relates to us. And 
God, I just pray, Father, for those of us right now that we would say, yeah, you know what, Ernest, I'm kind of like your friend, where I'm seeking the joy, I'm seeking life and other things right now. And if that's you, I want you to know this is a safe place for you. That God sees you, he loves you. And you might wrestle with this for a long time. But my prayer is that you would turn today. And it doesn't mean you're not going to still have doubts. It doesn't mean you're going to get all your questions answered. That's what faith's about. It means today God's saying, just turn to me. Come to me. Come home. It's recognizing that we're all sinners. And the payment of our sin was death. Like that's what we deserve. But Jesus loved you and I so much that he died for us. He paid the price. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead to show his power over death and over sin. So that we could have life. So that in him we can live and move and have our being. So if that's you, with every head bowed, eyes closed, if you'd say, man, Ernest, today... I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to recommit my life to Christ. Ernest, say, hey, I want to come home. Again, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. God's not asking you for that. He's asking you to come, to come home. That's you. I can ask you to come forward or stand up. I just want you to raise a hand right now. I want to know who to pray for. Amen. 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 Father, thank you so much for each one of these individuals. If you're watching at home, you could just... Text the word follow to the number on the screen. I just want you to know God sees you. God knows your story and he loves you deeply. God, I thank you for your forgiveness, your grace, that your word says if we just confess our sins to you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So forgive us now as we turn to you. And God, for those of us who feel like, man, we got one foot in, one foot out, God, may we not make our life about religion, about the do's and the don'ts, but may it be about a relationship with you, that we do the things that we do because we love you, because we're called to serve you and to follow you, not because it's a checklist. God, I pray that you would help us to see people in our lives that need you, that need you and that you've placed us in their life for a reason, for a time such as now. We could have been born any time, but there are people right now that need us. May we show them you. Father, we thank you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.